0: The scripture for the sermon is from Mark chapters 2 and 3. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? He answered, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abiathar the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat, and he also gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath." Another time, Jesus went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, Stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, Which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or kill? but they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. This is God's word.
1: Thank you, Katie. Since Easter, we've been looking at the Gospel of Mark. Mark. Uh, Of the four Gospels that begin the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Mark is the simplest and most direct, as we've seen. It is the record that Peter left us. Peter was an illiterate, uneducated fisherman. He just recorded what he saw. Jesus did this, and then he said this, and then he did this. There's no attempt to interpret. There's no gloss. He is a good, solid eyewitness, a man of the sea, and he gives us a vivid picture of Jesus. We've seen Jesus begin his ministry by being baptized, being tempted in the wilderness. We've seen him begin to teach in the synagogues, and the people respond to the authority of his teaching as one who had a new kind of authority they'd never seen. We've seen him beginning to unpack some of the prophecies about the coming Messiah, the Son of Man. And Jesus increasingly refers to himself as the Son of Man and begins to fill out a picture of what that actually means, that he has authority, that he can heal. We've seen him, and this was last week, blow out the walls of the kingdom. The holy people of God originally would just the people of Israel, the holy nation that demonstrated their holiness and their separation from the world with the law that God had given them. But Jesus comes and blows that out, begins to engage with people who were not considered part of the holy nation, who were not keeping the law. Includes as a disciple Levi, who was a tax collector and viewed by Israel as a traitor someone that they wouldn't associate with. And now, Jesus addresses the Sabbath. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields. And as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. It's hard to overstate the significance of the Sabbath. The Jewish people define themselves Primarily by two things, circumcision, which have defined the covenant family, and keeping of the Sabbath. It was what distinguished them from their neighbors. It was a source of national pride. It was a badge of honor that identified Israel as God's people. So the Sabbaths were a big deal in Israel. The Pharisees said to him, look, why are they doing what is unlawful? On the Sabbath. Now we saw last week that the Pharisees were the ones who defined themselves by the law. First by the Ten Commandments, and the fourth of those of course is to keep the Sabbath, but also by what is known as the Midrash. The Midrash was a series of commentaries on the laws of the Old Testament. They, de- they identified 612 of them. And the Midrash was a series of commentaries and uh, elaborations of the law that the Pharisees sought to uh, keep as well. But in addition to the Midrash, and by the way, the Midrash continues to be written right to this day. It was already large in Jesus' day, but it continues to be added to. There's also another source of law, the Mishnah. The Midrash goes through the laws in the order that they appear in the Bible. The Mishnah is a collection that tries to address laws by subject. And for the Sabbath, there are 39 different ones, including you shouldn't reap. That is, you should not harvest your grain on the Sabbath. Now, whether or not this is actually what they're doing, they're just walking through, they're not really harvesting, is besides the point. The Pharisees are trying to demonstrate their authority and their power over Jesus and his disciples. As those defined by the law as sort of the keepers of the law, they're trying to apply the law on him and demonstrate their authority. And you see that by Jesus' reply. He answered, this is Jesus after he's been challenged, have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abapha, the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is, unlaw- which is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Now this is an odd thing for Jesus to bring up. You know, David was running for his life. He was being pursued by a murderous King Saul. He was starving. His men were starving and hungry, and that's why he ate. Jesus' disciples aren't starving. They're just walking. They're having a day's walk on Sabbath. The point is not that because David did this when he was starving, I can do it. The point is a claim of authority. Then he said to them, The Sabbath was made for men, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. We recall from last week, Jesus is taking this expression, the Son of Man, he's applying it to himself, and he is showing what it means in practice. Now we'll look at that in a moment, but first, this idea that the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. It is very re- easy when you read the Old Testament, in fact, when you read chunks of the Bible to think that this is kind of arcane, esoteric stuff from the past. That this is interesting theology, but it has little relevance for us today. But the idea of the Sabbath, the idea of the need for human beings to rest, I would argue is fully important for us today, particularly people like us who live in that city, live close to the city that never sleeps the very definition of not keeping a Sabbath. You know, when I first came to America, I came to New York, and I was shocked as an Englishman just how many people here defined themselves by their work, how overwhelming it was for everybody. I had a friend in publishing, and uh, she changed jobs, and she was thrilled that she got two weeks off a year. Well, she'd have to work a year before she got them, Two whole weeks in a year—I never saw her take a day off, by the way. Two weeks in a year sounded absurd to me, coming from England. You know, five or six weeks is typical. My uh, my sister is a nurse and she has ten weeks off a year, plus all the holiday vacations that uh, you have at Christmas and at Easter in addition. New Yorkers are crazy. A man that I went to school with, uh, he ended up working for Sotheby's in London and he would travel from the London office to the New York office. And he said it was a common occurrence that New Yorkers would go to the London office, which closed at 5 p.m. and they would look at each other like, what do I do now? They were used to working to 9, 10 o'clock. The idea of having the whole evening, they were a complete loss. They didn't know what to do with themselves. They were defined by work, and it's getting worse. You know it. you probably probably not more than I do. Corporate America has been, for decades, downsizing, getting rid of middle management, replacing administrative assistants and secretaries with computers. So the people have to work harder and harder. The idea of jobs for life is essentially gone. It used to be you worked hard at the beginning of your career, You got promoted and then things became easier as you told other people what to do. That doesn't happen anymore for most people. Now many professional people, especially in the city, they're not part of this lifelong hierarchy. They're assembled into teams for a project and you work flat out until that project is completed and then you start the next project and you work flat out until that one is completed. There's no rest. There's no chance to regroup. And it seems that hours get longer and longer. At the top, it is not uncommon for people to, to work for 80 or 90 hours in high-pressure jobs where lives and jobs and millions of dollars are at stake. When I was a pastor in Manhattan, we used to have a small group, that is a, a worship group, um, down on Wall Street. And it started at 7 o'clock, finished at 9 o'clock. And at 9 o'clock in the evening, more than half the group went back to their office to continue working. It was shocking. But then at the bottom, you get low wages so that people have to work multiple jobs just to pay the rent, just to exist. Do you know back in the 60s, if you read about the artistic scene in New York, it was possible for a person, for an artist, to work for one week as a cab driver and make enough money to pay rent and live and be an artist in Manhattan. One week's work. Now people, especially if you have a family, two professional careers are not enough. I was reading recently how hard it is to bring pastors and families to the city because so few churches now can afford the space that a family would need in the city the amount of hours goes up the cost of everything goes up and the amount of free time goes down and then you see those cute little adverts where somebody's on a mountaintop or a sailboat or on a beach with their computer like technology is going to set you free no By the way, a laptop on a beach is blasphemous, as is a laptop on a sailboat. Technology just spills the work over so that people are on call and responding to things at work all day and all night and all weekend. Of the answering of emails, there is no end. So what do you do? You remember the Sabbath. Sabbath. You remember that it was a gift and is a gift from God. It is a way that slaves stop being slaves and become free men and women. What is a slave? A person who is defined only by the work they can do. When a slave stops working, a a slave has no value because they are the work. Only free people can have time off. And God knows that. In Genesis, when you read how God created the, uh, the world in six days, it says this. By the seventh day, God had finished the work that he had been doing. So by the seventh, So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. God made the seventh day holy, that is, set it apart, separated it from all the days of work, so that it would be a day of rest woven into nature. It's striking, by the way, the whole world has followed this this plan, resting on the seventh day, having a weekend, even if it's only one day. Crazy French tried after the revolution to have a 10 day week because they wanted to decimalize everything. It did not last long. So God wove into the fabric of reality this idea that every seventh day you are to put down your work and rest. It is part of creation, it's not just a good idea. It is a way of thriving in the world that God has made. And remember what he did. You know, if you read uh, Genesis, God's people fall into slavery. They become slaves of the Egyptians. And when God rescues them, when he brings them out of Egypt, out of slavery, and he brings them to Mount Sinai, what does he do? He gives them... A new law, a new way of being as a a nation of free people, not slaves. And the fourth commandment, keep the Sabbath. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, Being free to use your time for something other than work is the difference between being a slave and being a free person. Slaves are only the work that they do and they're slaves because that work is given to somebody else, belongs to somebody else. Free men and women rest because their ultimate value is greater than just the work that they do. They're not defined by work. They are bigger than work because they're created in God's image and they have value and significance independent of the work. So easy, right? Just have a Sabbath. But it's not so easy, as you know. The Sabbath is a gift, a free gift. And what you don't want to do is turn your day of rest into another to-do list. Resting is not merely doing your laundry or house cleaning or answering all the emails or catching up on errands. That would just be more work. A Sabbath should be rest from the daily grind. And only when it is are you free. That's why Jesus gets so angry with the Pharisees. They have turned the gift into another set of obligations. Instead of it being a chance for people to restore themselves, they have turned it into another set of duties. Another time, Jesus went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, Stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, Which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was completely restored. Notice it doesn't say healed. It says restored, renewed. Became what it was meant to be. That is what the Sabbath is all about. And that's why Jesus was so angry. Because the Pharisees had turned this gift from God this holy, separate space, this day where you could lay down your deadly doing, do something fresh and new that would restore you, they'd turn that into a fresh set of obligations. Jesus, Lord of the Sabbath, is redefining what it means. The purpose of the Sabbath is to be a gift from God to his people. Not a fresh set of duties, not another to-do list, not a new set of laws. So what can you do? There was a wonderful article about this in the New York Times by Judith Schulwitz. She was a, a secular Jew who became Orthodox and began to try to keep the Sabbath. And she wrote this. Most people mistakenly believe that all you have to do to do it is to stop working. Not work equals Sabbath. But that's not true. The inventors of the Sabbath understood that it was much more complicated undertaking. You cannot downshift casually and easily the way you might slip into bed at the end of a long day. As the cat in the hat says, it's fun to have fun, but you have to know how. This is why the Puritan and Jewish Sabbaths were so exactingly intentional, requiring extensive advanced preparation, at the very least a scrubbed house so your Sabbath was not about house cleaning and cleaning the oven or putting order to your closets, a scrubbed house, a full larder, so it's not about going to the supermarket, it's not about shopping, and a bath. Uh, I guess if you're an Orthodox Jew, you don't even have a a shower on, on the Sabbath. The rules did not exist to torture the faithful. They were meant to communicate the insight that interrupting the ceaseless round of striving requires a surprisingly strenuous act of will, one that has to be bolstered by habit as well as by social sanction. It is not so easy. So there's a sort of contradiction here. The idea of the Sabbath is a day of rest and restoration and renewal, but also, this deliberate act. Why? Because it is radically countercultural. All the habits of our society move against it. You know, it used to be the Sabbath, Sunday, was really different. Stores would be closed, you couldn't buy things, everybody was expected to go to church. That's all gone. Now, the world that we live in is 24 7, seven days a week. There is no Sabbath. The current culture expects you to be working. The current culture wants you to be a slave, defined only by your work. To be free now requires a conscious act of will. And that's what Jesus is calling us to. That's what upset the Pharisees by the way, you know, verse 6. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. When the powerful lose their power over you and your work, your self-definition, they get upset. Because only when you are free of obligations can you fully be who you are, a child of God. Not defined by your work, not defined by the rule makers, not defined by any other agency, only God. The idea of Sabbath is always going to be a threat to power, threat to the people who want to control you, the ones who want to turn you back into slaves and serfs and peasants and just workers, beasts of burden. So what do you do? It would be ridiculous for me to tell you because I would just dump a new set of rules on you, and that's not the point. The point of the Sabbath is that you discover who you really are. For every one of you, and for every family, the Sabbath will be different. Who are you when you're not defined by your boss and by emails, by bills, by to-do lists? What are you capable of? What do you and your children, your spouse, your family look like? When you govern your time and energy and nobody else. When you're free to be what you can be. What does that look like? Every one of us will have a different answer. And that is why it's a gift. The Bible does not give you content to this gift. It just says, create this holy space in your life, in your week. And be who you are. Now I would say clearly, one thing that we are is save sinners. You know, Jesus gave up his rest. It's interesting. In the beginning of Genesis, God rests. And then the world is broken by human sin. And therefore, God ends his rest. Jesus gets up and enters our world and comes to restore and save us. Why? So that we could enter God's rest again. So clearly, part of Sabbath, part of understanding who you are, is to recognize Jesus, is to worship. But apart from that, it's up to you. You know, they have this um, notion in Jewish culture of when you would re- when you would actually harvest. You harvested right out to the edges, but then you left the edges for poor people to harvest. But more than that, you left space on the edge of the planted field, a Sabbath space where anything could grow, where you didn't put the seeds on it. It was whatever nature wanted to do with that piece of land. So the new things that the Israelites didn't know about could grow there, flowers and plants and uh, who knew what was going to grow there. That is exactly the idea with our own Sabbath. If you have a space in your life, what is going to grow there? What wild thing has been suppressed all these years that might emerge if you give it time and space? One good place to find out, by the way, in my experience, is the church. If the Bible is true, each one of us is created in God's image to serve him and glorify him. Are you a leader? Are you a prayer? Are you creative in service? Try different things in the church. Try being something that you've never been before. Try doing things that you've never done before. You and your spouse, and your children. Make it a family Sabbath. Make the pattern of your life change on Sunday. That's the offer, a free gift, to find out who you are and what you might become. You know, my first uh, real pastor, uh, I'll end with this. He started off in a different denomination, which was very much... Uh, a legalistic denomination, and uh, all rule-based and keeping all these laws, and um, especially the pastors, were it was very rigorous how they should live and what they should do and what they couldn't do. And one day, he was sitting in his office. It was Saturday night. He'd had to do all this work. The sermon wasn't finished. It was late. He was completely exhausted. And he couldn't go on, and he just started crying. It's like he'd come to the end of himself. And in his mind came the passage. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. And it resonated in his head. And he thought, I'm going to take this seriously. And he laid down on the office floor, And he went to sleep instead of his deadly doing. Now, goodness knows what the sermon was like the next morning. But it changed his life. He ended up leaving that denomination. He joined our denomination, became a very effective church planter. And every time he talked about Jesus, this is why his sermons were always so amazing, he would cry because he remembered that night. And his sense of God's grace and gift towards him Defined his life in his ministry, his family, his relationship with everyone. What is your response? God gives us this gift to the Sabbath. A space in your life to discover who you are as a child of God in relationship with him. It is purely gracious. There are no rules. There are no expectations. It is up to you to experiment and explore and play. And you will find rest for your souls. That's the point. Let's pray right now. Lord, you promise us that we can find rest in you. And through the commandments, you tell us that if we create a Sabbath in our life, if we make space for you and for new things, then wonderful things will grow. We will grow. We will become truly the men and women that we were meant to be. Lord, help us make that radical decision to honor you in our Sabbath, that countercultural challenge. Give us the strength to follow through. Help us as a church to be a church that honors the Sabbath. Help us as your people to be a holy people, defined by you, separate from those that would enslave us. We thank you, Lord, for your grace. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.